This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. Yo, welcome back to the show. It is Q&A time. We have a diverse range of topics today from nutrition coaching to supplementation to business advice. I'm very stoked to dive into these. Now, before we get into the questions, I just wanted to remind you of our online coaching service, which is really what our business is built around. We truly provide an individualized experience to help you achieve the best possible version of yourself, whatever that means to you. We take everything that makes you unique as an individual, your unique lifestyle, movement, mobility, goals, mindset, etc., and use that to create an individualized, periodized training and nutrition program that's truly fit to you and will help you achieve the body that you want. So if you've taken value from this podcast and you're interested in working with us one-on-one, hit the link in the show notes to apply for coaching with us. All right, without any further ado, let's get into the questions. So first question we have, scared as shit to go on people's podcasts or bring others on mine. Any tips? All right, so first and foremost, um, because I did get this in my Instagram questions, I called this dude out on Instagram. I said, basically quit being soft this shit doesn't get better outside of just doing it. And that's the reality of this. Like, and also kudos, kudos to UK dude that asked this question because he then asked me to hop on his podcast. So way to take action on that. Um, that's the reality of this. The more you kind of get to know all these people that you look up to, like for me interviewing people, who like have their own podcast that I listen to for years and then I'm talking about like, oh man, I was so nervous to have whoever on the show or like talking about how they're still so nervous for things. You realize that one, most people who are podcasters, well, it might sound effortless on air. They're most likely pretty nervous for most interviews. And I know for me personally, no matter who I'm interviewing, I'm always hella nervous before. That's just the reality of it. And I've done a lot of interviews by this point, but still, super, super nervous. So I think one is just accepting that the nerves are going to be there. Unfortunately, I haven't found a way yet to like, just feel super calm going into an interview. So that's just part of the game, (laughs) but it really is just embracing the fact that it's going to be uncomfortable and doing it anyways. So like truly my best advice is just take a week every month, not a week, but a day every month to DM a shit ton of people or email a bunch of people, reach out to their assistants, whatever. Yo, are you willing to hop on my podcast? Do that. You'll get a date set in stone. And then you just have to have it figured out by that point. Um, that's what I did do originally start the podcast. Shout out to Matt McLeod, who was coming on the podcast as you were listening to this today, probably. And then Chaz, <laughs> the homie who Super cool to see how uh, relationships have developed from that. But those two, like when I wanted to start my podcast, the first thing, well, I was dragging my feet on it for a long time to get myself to take action. I hit them up. I said, yo, are you two willing? Are you willing to come on my podcast? Um, Because they both have much larger followings than me. And like there were people I looked up to for a long time, respected a lot for a long time in the industry. So I knew that like if I set a date on the calendar with them, 
that would force me to have it figured out by then. And really, like, that's the thing with it as a whole. Like, I was hella nervous for both those interviews. Like, both of them also, they happened to be on the same day. <laughs> and the during both interviews, actually, so the apartment complex that I live in, the maintenance guys come to change your light bulbs. So I had very clearly like established, I had put in a request, but don't come on this day because this is the day that I'm doing these podcast interviews. So of course, during my first interview, maintenance guy shows up knocking on my door, knocking on my door, knocking on my door. This was with Chaz. The first time I ever talked to him, dude won't leave, just banging on the door. So I kind of signaled Chaz to keep going on, get up. Yo, dude, like you got to go, man. Like I can't, I can't have you in here right now. I'm in the middle of a podcast. Um, and he couldn't understand what I was saying. And so we like, for a good couple minutes, we were just out there and Chaz did a great job of just like speaking. And I think I asked him a question about programming. He was just going off on that, but this was going on. So like, dude, you have to come back like some other time. He's like later I said, no, like it can't be today. It has to be tomorrow or some other point, like not today for sure. Not today. So a couple hours later, I'm interviewing Matt McLeod and dude just starts knocking on my door again. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm just going to ignore this. Um, and literally, eventually he just <laughs> used this key and let himself in. Um, yeah, anyways. But the point of all that is, super embarrassing at the time. But the point of all that is, you just got to do it. You just got to pull the trigger on it. It'll be uncomfortable. Accept that. Embrace it. But afterwards, you'll be very glad that you did it. All right. Next question we have, how are we all handling Thanksgiving dinner? People need their gravy and pumpkin pie. I agree. Um, so this is one of my clients. First of all, we went pretty in depth in this in our email conversation since then. And next, go back three episodes because I recorded a full podcast on this. And rather than give a half-ass answer here, I'll say go back, listen to the episode your holiday survival guide. It takes you through different all the different strategies we can use, crazy in depth. And again, this is a one-on-one -on -one nutrition client. So of course we talked through like, what do you need to take out of the day? Do you want to track? Do you want a day of maintenance? Or do you want to not track at all? Okay, cool. From there, from like your specific goals, your lifestyle, here are my suggestions. Here's what I think is going to be the best fit for you. Um, so of course we individualize that to her, but for everyone else listening, go back to listen and listen to the, the holiday survival guide three episodes ago. Next question we have how to balance running and lifting without overtraining. All right. So here, first and foremost, it does depend a bit on your goals. So are you more focused on overall physique development or are you more focused on being a runner because there definitely does have to be a balance there so if your number one goal is like hey i want to be a great runner we still know that improving strength will improve you as a runner and here i'm assuming that she's talking about distance running but still improving your strength does improve um your to an extent it doesn't improve your ability as a distance runner because when you're running, you're using a smaller proportion of your overall strength when you're stronger. Um, so here I would say like, hey, like I just want to build a bit of strength, maybe a bit of muscle, but my number one priority is 
running. I would say first look at how many days per week we're training. I would overall not push it past six days per week. All right, so I'm running four days per week and I'm strength training two days per week, full body for sure if we're um, programming it like that. Or I'm strength training three days a week, I'm running three days a week. There I would say if you are relatively new to proper strength training, um, you could make some good gains. And I remember like in-person training specifically, now I mostly work with people that are focused on strength development, not very much like a concurrent training like this, so to speak, or physique development, I should say. So most most people that I work with now are like, I have my number one physique goal is building muscle. But like, I remember like training people in person, I had a lot more clients that were like, also, I want to really improve my time in the half marathon this year. So, hey, we're going to train three days a week and you're going to be running three days a week as well. And people will see drastic improvements just from getting way stronger in their training. Um, but point of that is if you're relatively new to proper training you can make you can build a decent amount of muscle you can improve your physique a lot and still continue to progress within your running training three days per week and running three days a week now from there if it's more of a lean towards physique development you want to maybe slightly improve but likely mostly maintain as a runner or maybe running is like more therapeutic to you and you like to do it a couple times a week as like almost a form of meditation okay i'm gonna run twice a week i'm gonna train four days per week i would i would almost always stagger these um and then i would train likely upper lower or you could do push pull push pull but honestly there if you're training four days a week because running is more fatiguing i've also found that like a full body style of training is more fatiguing as well. So I would also say like if you're training, even if we're look, taking this as a balanced approach um, and you're training three days a week, running three days a week, if fatigue is high, you feel like recovery isn't great, then I would switch from a full body style of training to full body upper lower or upper lower full body. So you're still hitting everything with twice a week frequency but the overall fatigue per session is gonna be less because the reality is a full body training session is almost exclusively big compound movements. They're using a lot of joints, a lot of muscle groups. Whereas if we have one full body day, an upper body day and a lower body day, it's less overall fatigue in that upper body day and that lower body day. So you'd likely be able to recover a bit better. And really if you were like doing four days a week, I would follow an upper lower split. Now from there, um, I would also like nutrition is going to be a big piece of this. And really like this is very dependent again, like on what your biggest goal is, but making sure you're fueling yourself properly with nutrition. I would for sure say, make sure that you're eating plenty of carbs. That is one area where I could see like under fueling being a bit of a problem. Now the reality is like your running is almost exclusively going to be fueled at this point by your aerobic system, which is pretty adaptable. It can use fats, carbs, or even protein as a fuel source. That said, for both your running and especially your lifting, your body is going to just thrive much more. You're gonna perform much better if you have plenty of carbs in your system, unless you're like, because you'll often hear about like these fat adapted 
ultra marathon athletes, for example, but they're using very, very specific protocols. they're also not focused on like with my time in the gym, I want to build the best physique possible also. So in your scenario, I would say a higher carb approach is definitely ideal. And this is very much where, and of course we want to make sure you're getting adequate protein and fat as well. So basically I would say being a surplus, um, make sure you're eating plenty from there, protein around one to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight, fat around 0.35 to 0.45 grams per pound of body weight, and then ramp the rest of those calories up with carbs. Um, and that'll very much help make sure you getting adequate sleep, managing life stress, things like that as well. Here, I would say one of the biggest things is, again, like when we're talking about overtraining, it is finding the balance of like, hey, we're not running every day and lifting every day. We're going to lift three to four times a week and we're going to run two to four times a week. And again, it depends on which direction you're leaning with that. But in a nutshell, that's how I would go about it. Um, And really, again, like the carbs are a big piece of that. And many people that are trying to do this and truly fuel their bodies properly, a concurrent style of training, the nutrition aspect of it is actually the biggest piece that most people are missing. Like most individuals are already with the balance of running to training. Well, the programming might not be perfect. They already have a decent balance they're figured out. It's really the nutrition that is generally the biggest aspect of it. And there's like the saying, are you really overtraining or are you just under recovering? And most individuals in this case are simply under recovering. Whereas like most of us, if we're running twice a week, lifting four days a week, following a smart training program and fueling our bodies properly, you can fully recover from that well. So it's very much a blend of following a smart program and making sure that your nutrition is also actually focused on fueling your body. Next question, is melatonin safe to take every day for a year? All right, so first and foremost, I feel like I have to insert some type of disclaimer here. This is by no means a recommendation or a specific prescription, I should say. As far as I know, and I am by no means an expert on this topic, but actually after being asked this question, I straight up, like I'll be honest with you guys, I just hopped on examine.com and dove into what they had to say. And honestly, for anything supplement-based, examine.com is always my go-to. They have such solid, such well-researched information. I know like Brandon Roberts, um, who I had on this podcast a bit ago, talking about diet breaks, rights for them. They're just so, so solid. I think they're the most solid in the field when it comes to things like this. So really in a nutshell, it seems that we don't have any data that shows that melatonin is harmful. Um, they have, and this mostly six to 12 month trials that are six to 12 month time periods where they're looking at it. But the few examples that we have of longer time frames also seem to show that it's not harmful. Um, there's no risk of dependence, and there also doesn't seem to be a buildup in tolerance. Again, from what I gather. Now, <laughs> is this me saying you should take melatonin every day for a year? No, not necessarily. But from the data we have, it does seem that you could infer that would likely be safe. Now, 
Really, melatonin isn't, again, isn't a supplement that I've dug into the research as much as, like, say, caffeine, fish oil, creatine, um, the more common staples that I recommend to clients. But again, from everything that I've gathered, but again, keep in mind, I'm by no means an expert on the field of melatonin. It does seem to be safe. And that is my as neutral as possible answer on that question. That said, like one, when most clients that we work with are struggling with sleep, we'll typically dive into, okay, one, do you have things that are kind of low-hanging fruit that you already know that you're doing that we can get you to stop doing? We can just hold you accountable to stopping doing these things, and this will improve your sleep. So for many people, it's like, yeah, I actually, I drink coffee at like 5 p.m. every day. So typically, we'll look to... What's your caffeine intake like? Do you have a consistent bedtime? Do you have a consistent bedtime routine? Um, are you looking at your phone or reading or doing watching TV or really anything in bed? So uh, let me start with the most common ones first. So typically, like things we can do to improve sleep outside of just melatonin supplementation. So because I feel like I have to give more value on that answer. Um, so as far as caffeine goes, many people are just drinking caffeine a bit too late in the day. Now, caffeine has a half-life of five hours. So, meaning if you drink 200 milligrams at 1 p.m., you're still gonna have 100 milligrams in your system at 6 p.m. And many people are drinking caffeine at like 4 p.m., 5 p.m. So, and honestly, I've found that for most individuals, drinking caffeine past noon, it's when it really starts to interfere with most people so really like if you're having a lot of sleep trouble i tell most people like noon is the cutoff point 1 to 2 p.m at the very latest but for most people it's noon to where we really see like okay my sleep is definitely improved next many people just use their bed for too much shit outside of just trying to sleep um for example laying in bed scrolling through your phone laying in bed watching tv even laying in bed reading the next most helpful thing I found is just straight up like you are only using your bed for sleep. If you're going to be scrolling through your phone, reading, watching TV, you're not doing that in bed. We are trying to train your mind that as soon as you hit that bed, okay, it's time for sleep. But if you're constantly like on your phone in bed, if you're watching TV in bed, it's going to mess with your sleep cycle a lot more than most people realize. So for many people, this is a game changer. Next, are stress levels super high before you go to bed? So are you checking work emails right before you go to bed? Um, are you just like in a stressed out state still from work today? Okay, then we're going to try to implement some type of like journaling practice. And I can't tell you how many clients I've had start journaling before bed that were initially very resistant to it. And then within the first two sessions, we're like, wow, I cannot believe how much that has truly helped my sleep. Um, and typically dudes are a lot more resistant to this for whatever reason. I know my client Dave was one I just got to do this recently after like two weeks of telling him he should do it. He eventually started it and actually found it very helpful. And I know even for me, when I first started, I was the exact same way, but past that point it's like okay can we establish some type of nighttime routine and for most clients it's okay at a specific time that you're going to start this nighttime routine how many nights per week do you want to do this for most clients it's five throughout the work week okay cool now i'm going to hold you accountable to this in your tracker from everything we talked about here journaling potentially meditating um staying out of bed before until you're ready to sleep like cutting off caffeine which of these tips can you actually implement okay no caffeine 
um, no bed until you're ready to sleep and you're, you're gonna journal. Okay, cool. Now I'm gonna put that in a tracker and hold you accountable to it. And for most people, like things like that in and of itself, then we don't need to, we cover those bases before we focus on supplements. And honestly, with every client I've worked with, once we get those things on point, it's super helpful, but also I get it. It is very easy to fall off of those things. And honestly, that's where it's super helpful to have a coach to hold you accountable to these things that you already know you should be doing, but aren't. All right. So feel better about that answer now. Final question we have, what might be the best way to work with a client that doesn't want slash like to log food? She's 70. All right, so here, the reality is almost all of our clients track macros or at the very least track calories and protein. The majority track macros and we have some who just track calories and protein. I would say it's about 75%, 25%. But we work with more intermediate to advanced individuals who work with a lot of coaches or I would say like advanced gen pop clients who want a very specific result. Um... And they've already kind of cleaned up the, picked up the big rocks, so to speak. The easy wins, they already have them covered. So that's a very different conversation than like this 70-year-old woman who maybe she just wants to lose a few pounds and improve her overall health. Now, here, typically I would approach it as dietary displacement. So if she doesn't want to track, okay, that's cool. I get it. First and foremost, I would still... I would likely just have her do like a 24-hour dietary recall or even a 48-hour dietary recall. So, hey, can you like write down for me just from memory like or for two days, can you just actually I would likely do three. I would do like a Friday, a Wednesday, and a Saturday if her Saturday and Sunday are pretty typical. And here's where you'll have to dive into the client's lifestyle a little bit, but like we want one weekend day. We want like maybe a Friday or like if there's any variance within our weekdays. Or if like her Saturday and Sunday are pretty different, we would like both of those days. Okay, cool. And then like one weekday sample for sure. So from here, like just these three days, do you mind just writing down everything you eat? I need some foundational idea of where you're at before I can prescribe anything to you, before I can help you start to improve. Now, this is exactly like what we have our clients do in our nutrition assessment. Before we prescribe you anything, you need to track at least three days of data in my fitness pal. So we can see, okay, exactly where do we need to introduce, like what nutrients might you be short on? Are you short on protein? Are you short on fiber? Um, about where should we set your macros to start? So we can truly make this individualized to you, your diet history, your metabolism, your hormones, etc. But in this client's case, you do still need like some type of food record. From there, then I would assess okay, what is she likely missing? Like what's what's the biggest clearing demand? Now, almost always it's gonna be protein. And we also know like the elderly population is gonna get a lot of benefits from protein because of sarcopenia. So, oh, and I should also clarify there, sarcopenia is um, basically just age-related muscle loss, very common, um, but increased protein intake is going to help prevent this. So, from there, it's most likely that it's protein, right? So just assess like where's the glaring gap. Or maybe she's smashing protein, but there's no fruit or in her diet or no veggies in her diet. Like where do you see the most glaring demand? Okay, from there, looking through her days, let's say it's protein. 
Which of her meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, or like her snack, is the lowest in protein? Okay, let's start there. So, listen, Linda, I have this long list of protein-dense foods that you can add to breakfast because we see that that's the meal where you're lowest. I don't want you to try to focus on reducing anything. I don't want you to try to focus on eating less. I just want you to start by implementing a palm-sized portion of protein into breakfast every day. So from this list of foods, which of these you realistically think you can implement? Okay, I want you to circle three to five of these for me. Okay, now from there, give me two to three specific ones that you're going to implement this week. So like give me two to three different example breakfasts and I'll help you come up with those if needed. Okay, cool. From there, we have your breakfast from the week. Breakfasts from the week make it happen. Okay, now once that becomes a habit, then we do lunch, then we do dinner. And by the time she's eating about, um, for most people, it's about, it's going to be about two to three palm sized portions of protein with each major meal. She'll likely be around 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of body weight, somewhere in that range. Okay, past this point, then what's the next glaring deficit? Is it fruit? Is it veggies? Is it fiber as a whole? Cool. We're going to use the same approach to basically remove all those deficits. Now, the idea here is this whole time we've never focused on with her removing anything, but rather we focused on kind of pushing things out. By this point, she's eating a lot of protein. She's eating a lot of fruit. She's eating a lot of veggies. She's eating a lot of fiber. So one, she's getting most of the nutrients she needs for health, but two, we know that per calorie, those foods are all very filling. So while she's not going to be eating a ton of extra calories on these foods, they're going to be filling her up a lot. And they're very, very, very likely pushing out more calorie-dense foods. So in a situation like this, that's how I would approach it. And really, it's more like a habit-based perspective. But again, by the time she's implemented all of these, she'll have gotten a lot leaner also because again, we're pushing out many more calorie-dense foods simply because she's filled up from all these whole foods that she's eating. But again, that's really how I would approach that. All right, team, and that is all the questions we have for today. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast, do me two huge favors. One, screenshot this, share it to Instagram, and tag me. I wanna thank you for listening and you're really helping me grow the reach of the show. Two, leave me a five-star rating and review in iTunes. That is the next best way you can help me grow this show and reach more people. All right. As always, I appreciate you all for listening. Thank you for tuning in.